Has your time in the Word ever been so sweet where you just love studying? You just really, and I'm not talking about textbooks, I'm talking about the book, God's Word. Um, I know sometimes studying textbooks, you're like, oh, maybe not you, but sometimes it gets uh, trialsome. <laughs> How's school going? I wonder how school's going for you. It's almost, is it getting close to halfway through this semester yet? I hope so. Is it getting close? It's a third. That's close enough. Seems like today was one of those days where, um, like, you have a load already, and then, like, a couple other things get piled up on top of it. And you sing songs like, uh, Your Grace is Enough for Me. And I was just meditating on while we were singing. I was like, really, Lord? Then why in the world, if your grace is enough, all day long I've been just wanting this and that and things that are outside of your grace. And uh, that was so good to just come back and be like, that's right, Lord. You are all I need. You know, there's, um, there is several families that are represented here that uh, man, they're going through some... If I need to do anything with the mic, let me know. It's kind of humming. But um, several families here that are represented that are going through hard times. In hospitals, yeah, sick. Um, and in my heart, I'm thinking, man, your grace is enough? Wow. You must have amazing grace that's the amazing thing about knowing Christ is your loving kindness, Lord, is better than life. Can you say that? Is Christ that much of a treasure to you that you would choose him over any other thing? That's what we're going to be talking about this evening. You know, I'd like to open this up in prayer and uh, just take some time to all those peripheral things, the schools, the lunch, supper you just came from, wherever you came from, let's just lay them aside for a second and uh, kind of clear our minds so we can focus on God's Word. Heavenly Father, we, um, we go before your throne on behalf of people that we love, Lord, who are struggling. And Lord, we are reminded, Lord, that your grace is enough. And Lord, you know, I pray that we would be grace to people your grace to people who are hurting. And that, Lord, we would, uh, we would be a people who are defined by your love that has totally changed us. And, Lord, there's a lot of stuff going on in life. These students are so busy. I feel so busy. Lord, help us to, to stop and be still and remember that you're God. And as we open up your word, Lord, give us clear attention. Amen. If you weren't here for the announcements, you came in late, um, we have a fellow who we are very privileged to um, come this evening. He's going to be speaking tomorrow at 10 o'clock, Mr. Craig Parrish right here. Hero, I'm sorry. And um, you got saved in college ministry, didn't you? Yes. So uh, a few years ago. A few years ago. <laughs> it is so good to have you and uh, what he's going to be sharing tomorrow, um, if you're on campus and you desire to 
You know, your desire to, to be a Christian on campus, to be a testimony, to disciple, to be a leader, you should come. He's going to be speaking directly to that. He's invested 20 years of his life towards that goal of equipping Christians. We'd love to have you. One of our goals as leadership is we don't, we don't want to just come alongside. We do want to come alongside of you, but we want to equip you so that when you're on campus, when you're in the world, you feel encouraged. You don't feel like that little island by yourself in the classroom or walking wherever. So uh, really encourage you to come. It'll be here tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning. And it's free unless you want to, like, give uh, Tanner a, a donation for something or other. He could use some, some money. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're going to turn our, our thoughts to the Word this evening. If I was to keep your fingers ready in the Gospels, um, if I was to ask you, honestly, what's your treasure? What do you treasure? If this was taken, you'd be like, oh, man. You got, do you know what that is? Um, Twelve years ago. You know what this is, ladies. Uh, it's a diamond ring. I, I uh, purchased one of these for my girlfriend and asked her to be my engaged, and she became my wife. And what is more valuable than a diamond? What, what are some of the slogans? Nothing says I love you like K. <laughs> Something like that, I forget. Have you ever seen a, um, a girl wear one of these? Is anybody here engaged? No. Do you have your ring with you? C- could you stand up and show it to us? Notice. Look at that, how her fingers are spread. Distinctly the diamond sparkles. Congratulations. We... Um, we got this diamond, and we got insurance for it, and my wife would give it baths in this special. Do you do that? Do you give it special, like, dips to keep it clean? And You should. You really should. It'll hold its value. And believe me, it's valuable. I was hoping my wife would be here. I was going to give it back to her. It'll be there for now. Isn't it amazing how um, the things that we hold valuable how we act about them. Um, Luke twelve thirty four. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read it. Christ said, uh, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me ask you a question. By the way that you act, by, by the way that you show your heart's affection, is Christ your treasure? I know as Christians, we, we say He is our treasure. But Christ says, where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if Christ is our treasure, and I'm speaking to myself right now. I'm glad you can listen. If Christ is your treasure, then why do my affections and my desires and my thoughts always get pulled in so many directions? Like, when you're dating somebody, or you're engaged, and you're, and you're married, whatever, 
That's all, all you can think about. I wonder how quickly I can get out of school here so I can go see them. I wonder how fast I can get out of work so I can go. That's all you think about. You rearrange your day. Everything where your treasure is, there your, there your heart is also. But Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, your treasure, your most valuable possession is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe that, that's what we're going to talk about this evening. Um, through the example of the first four disciples that were called in the gospel, and um, this was a lesson that Jesus was constantly teaching his disciples, wasn't it? Do you remember what he, he pulled them aside and he said, guys, the kingdom of heaven, he said, it's like a pearl. There's my wife. By the way, today's her birthday. Would you marry me? <laughs> Here you go, Jennifer. Happy birthday. But uh, diamonds weren't too valuable in that day and age because there was no way to cut them. But pearls, pearls were valuable. You just had to go in the water, you could break them things open. And the gospel, Jesus told his disciples, is like a man who... He found a pearl of great price, just a little pearl in a field, and he sold everything. He sold it all, and he bought that field. And I I bet you people thought, what are you doing selling everything you own just for a field? And he said, no, I'm not after the field. There's something in the field, and that's us. Like, Christians, we, we give... We should give it all up. And people say, what are you thinking? You say, you don't understand what it is like to have your sins forgiven, to have a relationship with God Almighty, and for Him to call you Father, (laughs) for us to be able to call Him Father. Everyone's like, Andy? Um, Who were the first four disciples chosen? Quiz. Who were they? James, John, Peter, or Simon, and who else? Andrew. Let's turn to um, John one thirty-five. Where were these disciples? And I'm just going to kind of warn you, I'm really excited about when you learn something you see stuff in Scripture brand new than you've ever seen it before. And I'm really praying that the Lord would help me to be able to teach this clearly so you can see it. John 1. What's going on? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you don't have a Bible, we have a bunch of Bibles over there. Feel free to just get up and get one. John the Baptist is on the scene. He's proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. He's proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of his, is at hand. John 1, 35 says, And again the next day, John, John the Baptist, stood with the two of his disciples and looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. They left John, and they followed Jesus, And then Jesus turned, seeing them, followed and said, What do you seek? 
And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Let's skip down to 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And his first, his first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. There we got him. They were walking with John, excited about hearing about the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And you've got to kind of admire these guys. You've got the major teachers, the Pharisees, the scribes, teaching in Jerusalem. And where are these guys? They're following some crazy guy out in the desert who's saying, repent of your sins, for the kingdom is, ha- is at hand. And they're like, I- I, that's, that's where I want to be. That's where I, that's, I want to go with this guy. And John says, there he goes. And they left John. And you've got to admire John's humility. John's, there he goes. And they follow him. Do you remember that time in your life, for, for many of you, when you first heard about Christ, You had that come and see. You learned about the gospel for the first time, and you're like, really? Really? That's who Jesus is? And he invites you to to come and see. Come and see this gospel. Man, that's a sweet time in life. Did these men, I mean, they, they, they saw Jesus, they followed him. Did they stay with him? They didn't. They were fishermen. That's what they did. That was their trade. That's what they were comfortable with. It was a good job. They were up on the Sea of Galilee, surrounded by the city of Capernaum, fishing city. You ever been to a fishing city? Everybody talks about fish all the time. I had a buddy who grew up in a, on an island called Tangier Island. The whole place revolves around fishing. In the afternoon, nobody's up because everybody's sleeping because they were up at early in the morning fishing. And these men... Loved to fish. That's what they did. Three ways of fishing. The obvious way, the Montana way. <laughs> Throw in a line, bait them, catch them. If you've ever seen some of the, um, the tactics you, you might see over in the Middle East, it was called a, um, a cast net, and it would use the weight of a large rope, and in the center of the rope was a finer net, and they would whip that thing out, and the centrifugal force would... Throw it out, it would land in the water, the weight would sink, and they'd catch fish, and then they'd have another rope connected to it, and they'd draw it in. The third way of fishing was a drag net, and you would take um, two boats and net in between, and you'd just start dragging. These men, uh, what we're going to read here in uh, Mark 1, they were fishermen, and they were going to be using the, uh, the, cast, the casting style. Let's fast forward to Mark 1. See where these men are. Mark 1.14. We're fast forwarding. This is about 10 months to a year. And you would think, are they walking with Jesus? Are they following him around? What well, says here in 14, Now after John was put in prison... 
John's in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of, heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe in the gospel. And this is Jesus. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So he sees two guys, put this in the back of your mind, they were out at sea fishing, okay? It's probably early in the morning. It's when you fish. Jesus is walking along, he sees them, and if you're a fisherman, you've got a pretty good reputation. What, do you, uh, what I mean is, um, uh, you had, your, their dads were fishers, they had a boat, they had an industry, they had a good reputation, there were Pharisees who would only buy from certain fishermen because they wanted to work with these fishermen. There was a special gate in Jerusalem. You know what it was called? The fish gate. What do you think went in there? Fish. Like this wasn't a looked down upon job. This was a good job. And Jesus sees them out there fishing. And he says in uh, Mark 1, 17, then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I imagine him yelling out there, follow me, men, and I will make you fishers of men. And the call to follow me, it is, uh, it's the call of a rabbi. If a rabbi said, follow me, it meant I want you to come follow in my footsteps, learn from me. It was an honor. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James and his son, son of Jeb, Zebedee, and John his brother, who were also who were in the in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went with them. So Jesus comes. He sees two boats. One's out at sea. The other's in fixing fixing their nets. He calls them to come. Come follow me. And they do. And I wonder, you know, what was going through their minds. Because at this time, they'd already seen Jesus do miracles. At this time, they'd seen him cast out demons out of people. Like this, they knew this was not an ordinary man. And they thought, this must be the Messiah. I wonder what they were thinking. Um, I wonder if... Uh, what, you would, what, what, what would you think if somebody that you really, really respected said, I want you to drop what you're doing and follow me? And then I read the next verse here. Remember, they're fishermen. And it says, uh, And immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Verse 21. Then they went to Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And you, gotta, you, you picture Jesus and he's teaching. And everyone's just like, who is this guy? And why are the fishermen following him around? Like, what, what, what's their part in all this? And I imagine if I was one of those guys, I'd be like, uh, kinda, I feel like a fish out of water right now. No pun intended. And... What, what were they thinking? Really, Jesus, you want us to, to follow after you? 
Did you ever feel, have you ever been like that feeling like you're not outclassed, but you're in the wrong, this is not your people? I wonder if they felt like that at all when they followed Jesus. I also wonder um, their own hearts, what they were thinking. Like at all were they thinking, I wonder what we get out of following Jesus. You see, this, this was a huge stumbling block for the disciples thinking of, if I follow Jesus, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? Let's turn to Mark 10.35, see if you remember this. Fast forward a little bit, two years. Then James and John, the fishermen, sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, not God, not Lord, not say, teacher, um, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's, that's a powerful question. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us that we may sit on your right hand and on the other on your left in your glory. Wow. Just exposed their hearts. And not their hearts only. If you read down a little bit, the rest of the disciples are a little upset about it. Probably because they didn't get there sooner. Oh, rats. I wonder how many of us have that same motive for following Christ. You see, the disciples were in danger of a man-centered gospel. A gospel that is all about my glory. Not about God's glory. A gospel that where the attention, the affection of the cross is all about me and what God does for me, and God becomes my servant because I said a prayer, because I believe this. Now God has to give me what I want. That's where the disciples were. I want you to do anything we ask of you. How about I sit on your right hand? I mean... You're still in control, but I'm the right-hand guy. That's what we do. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not about our glory. The gospel is about God's glory. When, um, when I was in high school, um, my junior year, our team went to wrestle in the States. And uh, the guy in my weight class beat me. So I didn't get to wrestle. But I still went with the team. Our team took first place, and we all got a trophy. I got a trophy, too. I didn't even get on the mat. I just wore my sweats and, like, warmed up. You know? However we warmed That was for disco. Never mind. It's a whole nother warm-up. <laughs> that's what... That's the gospel. I didn't do anything. We get, the, we get a trophy, it's Christ, but it's unmerited favor, it's grace. And God gets all the glory. Nothing that we've done. You can't earn it, can't buy it. It's God's glory. Another pitfall we fall into is if you ask Jesus, and you follow Jesus, and you trust in Jesus, He's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. 
you'll feel better, your job's going to take off, you're going to get good grades, you can pray for them during, during a test, and maybe you'll get the right, God, what, A, B, C, D, E. That's what we think. The truth is, is that Christ's forgiveness is better than health. Do you believe that? That His grace is enough. It's better than health. Christ may call you to give up your wealth. And Christ warns you that the gospel will make you look foolish. You will look foolish if you go into the world and say, what about what Jesus said about forgiveness? You're going to look like a fool. Ephesians 3, 8, and 9 talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ, the depth of Christ, the value of Christ. Can you imagine walking around with the disciples as they followed Christ right there on the earth? Man, can you imagine that? Do you think they stayed with them? I mean, he called them out of their boats. They saw him do miracles. They followed him. Do you think they kept following? Let's turn to um, Luke. You know, the first account that we talked about is found in um, Matthew and Mark, and it's almost identical, almost identical, almost word for word. And I was studying this week, and I read a commentary, and I had never picked up on this before. In Luke 5. You see, the, you, one of the things I, I'm, I can really relate to these guys is there's things in life that I am so comfortable doing. Like uh, when I moved to Montana, the first thing I did was I looked for a job that I felt comfortable doing. Like I had a trade. I, was, I knew that I could provide for myself. I knew that if I worked hard enough, I'd be okay. I could support my family. And you got to, I can totally relate to these fishermen, these disciples, who that providing for themselves, they were so used to working hard, earning it. We turn to Luke, Luke chapter 5. We're going to find what I think is the third call. The third time that Jesus calls them. He calls them with John the Baptist. He calls them out of their boats. Check out Luke 5. 5 2. They're back in their boats again. This is a very different occasion. Let's start with one. So it was, as the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is another, word, another name for the lake of Galilee. And he saw two, two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them. Already, do you see a difference? The first account, the fishermen were in them. Simon was fishing. James was mending the nets. But here the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats. Jesus gets into one of the boats. There's a massive crowd around him. It's later on in the day. The time for fishing has passed. And he says, Simon, I'm going to get into your boat. Push out a little bit. We're going to teach these folks. 
Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. What a sweet time. Man, I wish I could have been there. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Man, this is all new material. This didn't happen in Matthew and Mark. But in Luke, something else is going to happen. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. I'm the fisherman, but whatever, you are the rabbi. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partner in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Here's the major difference. Do you notice Peter's response? Peter gets it. Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. You know, I I thought I knew what was going on here. I, I, I knew that John the Baptist said you were the Messiah, but I thought that the Messiah was from God. I had no idea that the Messiah was God. I cannot be in your presence. Peter got it. For the first time, I think he really got it. And he sees this miracle where he has been using his best efforts all night and has no return. And Jesus says, follow me. Just, I'll take care of you. And then I love this phrase here. Do not be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of me. It's the same thing that Jesus tells John in Revelation. Don't be afraid. I know you're sinful, and and this is God that you're talking to, but you don't need to be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Jesus just lands them the big deal. He lands them a lot of money. They get all this fish, and they leave it. Turn them all loose. They leave their boats. They leave their father. They leave the hired hand, a business, a future. And they forsook all and followed him. Do you see Jesus as that valuable? That if he asked you, you would, you would drop it all. You see, we, in, in our case, it seems as though when we do get all the fish, we find it harder to follow Christ because we start trusting in the fish and how we provide. But that's not the case because every good thing is from God. And he may call you to give it up. Could you do it? I think um, 
The missing link is Peter. We forget our situation. We totally forget where we are as a human. If we, if we do not see Jesus as valuable, if we don't see him as living water, it's because we forget that we are dying men. I'd like to read to you, and this is how I long for my attitude to be. Psalm 63, 1. You don't need to turn there. I can just read it to you. It says, Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Have you ever once in your life seen Christ as living water in a land where there is no water? Have you ever seen him as that valuable, that he is the only thing going for you that you've got? I, I don't think that way much. I don't think that way that much. I was given a book um, by one, one of the guys in here. It's called Gospel Primer. And it's really encouraged me to not graduate from the gospel, because that's what we do a lot of times. We hear the gospel, and then we graduate, and we move on to things. No. The gospel is the pearl. (laughs) It is the pearl. We continue to it daily. We forget our condition. Um, I was reading a book. I shoot horses all summer with a guy, and he says, you've got to read this book. It's called... uh, Unbroken by the lady who wrote Seabiscuit. Didn't care for Seabiscuit too much. But uh, this book was... Here's what happened. There's this guy. He, um, they think he's going to be the first person to break the, the four-minute mile. He goes to the Olympics. And I skipped it, so I don't know how he did. But he gets recruited into the Army. And then, in the Army... What's that? I skipped that part, too. No. Um, what his job is in the Army is he's, a, I believe it's called a bombardier. And um, he's uh, at one of those B-52s and the big glass thing, and he shoots things. He's kind of like the belly of the whale down there. And um, the plane goes down in the ocean. And uh, this story is incredible. Um, plane flips, goes down, and the whole, everybody... But three perish. Three guys make it, which is already amazing. They didn't jump out. They, um, they went in with the plane and swam out. So then they swim to the surface, and they have two life rafts. The life rafts are, they, they are about this wide and maybe six feet long, pretty small. They have, um, they're, they're checking through their rations. One guy is uh, bleeding in his head pretty bad. The other two are okay. So they pull these two rafts together. They lash them together, and they look at their supplies. See what we got. Um, they have a pint of water each, like a little pint, and they have four chocolate bars. And it's not like a Hershey's bar like you're thinking. It's a, um, it doesn't taste very good, and it's packed with protein, I think. So you would you would have a lot of nourishment through these little chocolate bars. 
So they set out rules right away. Here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to break these up, and we're going to nibble on them. We think we will be discovered in three days. That's their plan. So that night, they, um, oh, by the way, they, they, they put water in the boat to keep warm. So their body would um, warm up the water. Their top is shivering cold, but they're warm underwater. All night long, sharks are circling around their boat, and they can feel the sharks come underneath the boat, and they're, like, rubbing on them as they're laying in bed. They're, they're surrounded by sharks, and they've gone through shark training, like how to, like, fight off a shark. You make really big face, big eyes, and you punch them in the nose. That's what they tell you to do. Um, so, just like they thought, if, just in case you fall in at the aquarium. Um, three days goes by, here comes a plane, a rescue plane. These guys, they're so sunburnt. They're, I mean, they are, they're hurting from the sunburn. Oh, and by the way, the next morning, one of the guys ate all the chocolate. They wake up, the chocolate is gone. And the guy's like, I panicked. That's really, literally what he said. I, I panicked, and he ate the chocolate. Anyhow, hard relationship going on there. It was a rough time. Here comes a plane, rescue plane. They pull out their flare, shoot it. They almost hit the plane. plane doesn't see them. goes by. They shoot again, doesn't see it. Next day, they see a plane further away. What they're doing is they're, they're, they're gridding the ocean, searching, and they're moving, and they've moved over them. They've moved away. Okay. Fast forward. The men are starving. They caught a bird. They used it for bait. And every time they would, they had, they had a couple um, fishing lines, and they put it in the water. Every time, the sharks would take it and snap their line. Every time. It goes on and on. So they eat the bird. No luck with fish. Um, so... Time's going on, and um, they're so sunburnt that their, bottom li- their top lip is swelled, and it's up to their nose. Their bottom lip is totally full. It's just swelled up. They're, they're, blist- they're covered in sea salt blisters. I'm not even sure what that is, but they're in a rough condition. Um, days have gone by, and uh, they see a plane coming. They see a plane coming, and they are so ecstatic. They shoot up a flare. When, when these men were found, they were 76 pounds from 160, to give you an idea of the, of the scenario. Um, they see a plane coming. They shoot at it. It's an enemy plane. Enemy plane shoots back. Here comes the enemy plane. So the men bail into the water. They bail into the water. While they're down there, they look up, and the bullets are like, like they can see light poking through, through the boat. They, sw- they, they swim up, they get in the boat, here it comes again. The other, two of them have no more strength. They just stay in the boat. The hero of the story, he goes back in. As he's underwater, looking up, a shark comes at his leg. So he punches the shark in the nose, <laughs> waits for the bullets to stop, and gets back in. This continues. He jumps back in, fights the shark, goes back in the boat. Here, here he comes again. Finally, he's exhausted. The story gets better. The boat is sinking. The, um, the plane leaves. The boat is sinking. These sharks are now trying to jump in the boat. Like they are, I, I, I think they were bull sharks. Don't quote me on that. But they are trying, they're like sinking the boat, trying to sink the boat. So they have three men. One man is desperately patching holes. One man has a pump. And you have these like 
these tiny men who are, have no strength trying to pump up the raft. The third man has a, uh, an oar. He's beating the sharks off. Like, the situation is hopeless. This, the boat is sinking. But little by little, they're patching the holes, and it's coming back up. And the, the sharks are just coming in. And they keep beating them off. So um, finally, they get to the point where they only have to pump the boat every 15 minutes, and it'll stay up. That night they fall asleep. A great white comes along. The story just goes on and on and on. And, and I'm telling you just a, a, a smidge of it. It comes to the point, eventually they break the record for being out at sea the longest, 47 days. 47 days. And they are, they are in rough shape. Um, it always interests me when I read these books, what men will do when they face death. Some men don't even think about God. Some men curse God. I'm going to read you these guys' response. Oh, on the sixth day without water. And this happened once or twice. It rained, and they have little tin cups. And they're like holding up the tin cups, trying to collect some rain so they can just get a little bit of nourishment. So on the sixth day without water, the men recognized that they weren't going to last much longer. Mac was failing especially quickly. They bowed their heads t- together as Louis prayed. If God would quench their thirst, he vowed he'd dedicate his life to him. Have you ever been there? You ever been so thirsty that you're like, God, if you'll just give me a little drink, my life is yours. The next day, by divine intervention or the fickle humors of the tropics, the sky broke open and rain poured down. Twice more the water ran out. Twice more they prayed. Twice more the rain came. The showers gave them just enough water to last as a short while longer. If only a plane would come. I mean... That's the tip of the iceberg. See, the truth is, is that you are just as desperate. You are just as hopeless. You are just as lost at sea apart from Christ. That's a great example. Lord, we, if we don't have something, we're done. That's our case. That, that's, that's where we begin at the gospel. Um, I want to remind you, apart from Christ, you are enemies of God. Do you ever think about that? Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Everybody has gone astray. There's not some good guys. We're all bad guys. We have all turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. You see, if you don't look to the Lord for salvation, you're looking to something else. That's rebellious. That's, that's how I'm born. I am born independent, not wanting God, hating God, because that means I have to bow my neck and say, you're right and I'm wrong. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not one, not one. 
There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good, not one. Your situation is desperate apart from Christ. Romans 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind, the mind that we're born with, is enmity, hatred towards God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Your situation, apart from Christ, is desperate. You have nothing else. What do we deserve apart from Christ? John 3.6, Jesus tells us. John 3.36, Jesus tells us. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Our situation is pretty desperate apart from Christ. Romans 20.14 says, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Apart from Christ, your situation is desperate. Apart from the gospel of Christ, you're a lot worse off than those guys. Apart from Christ. Romans 5.10 says, For if we were, we were enemies, if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him, through whom we have now see, received reconciliation. Does Christ look any more valuable to you? Oh, if, you're, if He doesn't, you're blind. And you're deaf. And only Christ can make blind men see and deaf men hear. Do you ever get frustrated with yourselves? Man, Lord, this is what I want. So much so do I want to see Christ as valuable, and so many times I find myself going back to the fishing boat and looking to myself, looking to my own resources, not even sinful things, just my own things, which are sinful things. Let me encourage you. So far, Jesus has called his disciples three times. He called them when they were with John. They went back to the boats. He called them right after John got a, was in prison. He said, follow me, guys. They went back to the boats. And then he called them again. And he said, follow me, guys, and I'll make you fishers of men. Don't be afraid. Let's go to uh, John 21. Very end of the gospel. The disciples have been walking with Christ for three years. Three years, they've seen him, they've heard him teach, and then they see him get crucified. And the, the world gets rocked. And it's amazing how our instincts can kick in. We've had such great seasons of life, and our instincts kick in. And what's even more amazing is where sin abounds, grace abounds. Mm, Jesus is so full of grace and mercy. 
Check this out. I love this. John 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Here's the account. Simon Peter, Thomas called, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Peter, Tom, uh, twins Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing, guys. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going fishing. I mean, we've walked with this guy for three years now, and I'm going to do what I know how to do. We got boats, we got a career, and I'm going fishing. Man, that's, I, I can relate to that. I call this, uh, well, they said to him, <laughs> and he leads them, we're going with you. They went out and immediately got into their boats, and that night they caught nothing. Typical. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Picture this. They're out there all night working, working hard, frustrated, confused, Followed this guy. We're going back to fishing. This ain't working. Children, have you caught anything? Have you any food? <laughs> Jesus says. And they're like, no. Who is that guy? And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And you got to wonder, like what's going through their mind? This is strangely deja vu, John. Have we done this before? And they cast their nets over to the other side, and they get a huge haul. Fish are jumping. Boats are sinking, just like before. And they caught a multitude of fish. Verse 7, Therefore the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, plunged into the sea, but the other disciples came in the, the little boat, for they were not far from him. They're dragging in the boat, they're dragging in the fish. They come into land, and Jesus is already there. And do you see what he's got? He's got coals and he's got fish. He's already got some fish laid there and some bread. They've been working all night. They get nothing. Nothing for their efforts. Jesus calls to them, bam. They come in, pulling it in. Bring some of your fish, guys. Oh, by the way, I already got them. Man, that's awesome. I love this story. It just shows Jesus' his grace. He, I mean, he doesn't. He gives them, he gives them a bunch of fish. They, they, they have dignity as they come in. And then they realize that I didn't even need them fish. Bring some of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of, full of large. 153, although there were so many, the net, weren't, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Man. You know, the fishermen, 
the disciples, they never went back to their boats. Never. They may have rowed a boat. They may have ate a fish. But their vocation, their vocation was never more a fisherman, not for fish. You see, when they saw Jesus as supremely valuable and they followed him, he gave them a vocation. I checked out vocation in Wikipedia. Anybody check that out? Wasn't that cool? Um, here's the definition of vocation. My wife's like, I was like, do you know what the vocation means? And she's like, that's kind of like an old word. It is an old word. It's a really old word. But you, a lot of you, you wonder, what am I doing? What's my vocation? What am I supposed to do in life? I'm going to school and I was talking to a guy this week, and he said, you know, I'm just hoping someday the Lord works it out. You're waiting for a someday, and you're looking over a two-day. Here's what a vocation is. A vocation from the Latin verb to call, that's good stuff, is a term for an occupation to which a person, a person is specially drawn or for which they are suited, trained, or qualified. Though now often used in non-religious contexts, the meaning of the term originated in Christianity. It's a calling. When we see Christ as valuable, and we follow Him, and we ought to walk as He walked, we're indebted to, He gives you a vocation. He gives you a calling. And I'm not saying that you guys should quit school and become missionaries. But you are missionaries. But your vocation and your major are very different. You may major in mathematics, but that's only what you do. A Christian is who you are. Your vocation is you taking the valuableness of Christ that you love with all your heart into physics, into mathematics into exercise science, into wherever it is that the Lord leads you. He's your vocation. Go out into all the world, and I will make you fishers of men, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded them. That's your vocation. Be confused no longer. You're to follow Christ. And you may do it in the kitchen, but it's not your identity. I think especially as men, we get our identity in what we do. I work at McDonald's, my identity's low. I work in an office, my identity's changes like that. In a phone call, your life can change. And your identity, if it is based in these things, will be crushed. But if your identity is in Christ, it cannot be crushed. The world offers you what I'm going to call cheap values, Versus deep values. And here's what I mean. The world sets in front of you. This is what's valuable. Love is valuable. Right? Okay, the world says, yeah, that, that's, that's right. You can get love. Not real love. But you could buy it. You, you could cheat. You could get a kind of love. You could, you could have a very private love. And nobody else would know about it. It wouldn't be real love, but you'd be satisfied. See, the world offers you these things, and they're so easy to get. Get 
four years of school, you're in. Taken care of. My teacher told me today that people who make less than 50000 are less happy. But when you get to the 50000 mark, you're more happy. See, that's all you've got to do is you've got to make that 50000 But what if your health is taken? Then what? You see, that value that the world offered you is gone and it leaves you empty. Even if you get it, it's empty. But the value, the deep values of following Christ and seeing Him as your treasure, it will cost you everything. You, you can't say, I'm going to keep this part. It costs you everything. He wants all of you, your career, your life, your relationships, the things you talk about, the things you think about. He wants it all. It costs you everything, and it's not fast. It would take you an entire life to grow and to understand more about our Lord. The world says you can have it like that. Christ says it's going to take your life, the entirety of your life that I give you, but, but, if the world offers you something that it's empty, there is nothing in the world compared to being obedient to the Lord. Nothing. Seeing Him as a treasure. My wife and I were digging out our basement. We had a farm in Maryland, and we were digging out our basement, and we found a diamond ring in the basement. It was, um, there's these walls, and this is, this is a Civil War home. It's old. A three-story home, and uh, we're, we're tearing it apart, and I'm like, what is this? I need to go to Home Shopping Network right away. And so we took, the, we took the ring, and I was, and right away I'm like, the mortgage could be paid off. I could get a, a new truck. And, uh, and you could get something too, baby. And uh, I am pumped about this ring. We don't even get changed. We go straight to the mall. We go, well, why are you going to the mall, Andy? Um, we, go to the, we go to the jewelry store. And I want to know how big, like, what's the deal? It looked, it looked as big as her engagement ring. I was pumped because that was expensive. <laughs> and I go in there, and the guy takes two probes, and he goes, oh, that's fake. There you go. We were, what? Like, everything, like, all my plans were gone, and we went back to the house and kept digging. <laughs> and you know where that ring is today? My wife, she, you wore it for a while. It, what? It fit, it fit you. We decided we'd keep it. It's cheap and all. <laughs> Jen lost it. It's gone. Doesn't even matter. That's exactly how it is. You chase these things the world offers you, and you look back and you're like, what was that, my major? Oh, yeah, that's right. What, what was I did for the first 10 years that I was chasing? Oh, yeah, that's right. Doesn't even matter anymore. But the deep treasures of Christ are living water that will fill you to satisfying. We're going to close with worship. Um, If you do not know Christ, if you do not see Him as valuable, you need to find from God's Word the truth. Man, talk talk to myself. Talk to Tanner. Talk to Bjorn, Lon, any of these guys in the leadership team. Talk to our guest speaker. 
This is something that you should not leave without here tonight. It's that serious. Lord, we love you. And we do not love you enough. Father, pray that we would be reminded daily of your gospel. Lord, let us not forget that we are, we are very sinful. And you are very holy. And Lord, the only thing that stands in between me and what I deserve is a cross. Mm, Jesus, you look more beautiful all the time. Remind me of this every day. Lord, thank you for the people who are here. Pray, Lord, that them, <clears throat> this would last more than an hour, but it would encourage them for a lifetime. And maybe sometime, maybe some of the folks here for the first time in their life, Lord, that would be awesome. So we dedicate this time to you. We give ourselves to you, Lord. Amen.